Hi, my name is David. I will be reading today's scripture, which comes from Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 6. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred. Beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see. And for that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one with whom men hide their faces, he was despised and he was esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord who has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. And let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Thank you. Thanks be to God and thanks to Mr. Morgan for the reading of the scriptures. First Sunday of 2024, may my first words be to you this. I want to begin with the benediction, actually. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine down upon you and be so gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace into 2024. Well, today I'm going to begin a three-week series on our vision as a church and our mission. Our vision is what we see, what we want to become. Our mission is how to become or how to realize our vision. And our mission is threefold. So today is our vision and mission number one. Of course, the new year affords a perfect opportunity to reset and renew what is the vision and the mission of CCSC. In other words, why? Why do we do what we do? Or why do anything that what of what we do. Why do anything at all? Or why do everything that we are doing? This is the ultimate why. And I assure you, churches, including ours, we can come up with different themes or focuses or targets or projects year by year. Of course, that's very important. But an ultimate why the church exists, an ultimate why Kindred was planted a year ago, the ultimate why of every church and every Christian, I don't think it's our right to come up with our own. Apostle Paul gives it to us. So it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. To a church whom he never visited or met, he says, I want to present everyone, everyone in the church, mature in Christ. That's our vision. Let me translate it in this way. I'll translate it in this way. If you see on our website, we say we want to see life changed, but I'm going to expand on that a little bit. We want to see life changed into the beautiful resemblance of Jesus Christ. Paul says in his lingo, 
I wanna make you complete. I want you to be fully representative of what Jesus Christ looks like. This is our rose. This is the end game. And then in the next verse, Colossians chapter one, verse 29, Apostle Paul goes on to say, in view of this vision, I work with all the power he gives me. I toil, I labor. So the ultimate why, the vision of why CCSC and every church in Jesus Christ should exist, this is the ultimate end game that we want to see. To that end, Paul says, it inspires me, it captivates me, it governs me, it directs me. It sustains us, it inspires us to carry out all the way to its fruition. So again today, I just want to flesh out what the beautiful resemblance of Jesus Christ really means, what that looks like, and then spell out our mission number one. Missions are how to realize or experience our vision. So let me just flesh out the beauty of Jesus Christ today just a little bit. I'm going to take this from Pastor Joe Novenson. A couple decades ago, I heard this from him, and I think it's one of the most apt descriptions of what it means to become Christ-like. Here it is. Someone who is socially serving, personally whole, relationally loving, economically generous, powerfully sacrificial, enemy welcoming, racially honoring, spiritually humble, sexually pure, psychologically peaceful lifestyle. What a helpful, insightful, modern depiction of what Christ-likeness may look like. But again, the million-dollar question, how? (laughs) How? Is this an impossibility? Is this a fantasy? Is it only reserved for the elite few? The Bible time and time and time again tells us nobody becomes like this or nobody becomes like Jesus because you're smart, because you're strong, because you're savvy, because you just tried really hard, or because you were born into the right family or lineage. It's not inherent or innate to you. It's not because you're just such a spiritual person. No. The Bible says for you and I to become the beautiful repeat or beautiful resemblance of Jesus Christ, it takes both a gift from God and it takes your grit. A gift and its grit. In other words, it takes the grace of God, free and undeserved, and godly disciplines. Let me capture it this way. To look like Jesus, you and I must look at Jesus. Our vision is to look like Jesus Christ, then our mission number one is to look at Jesus Christ. And as you and I look at Jesus Christ, 
Jesus Christ makes you and I more like him. Most of you will know by now, halfway through college, I lost my dad abruptly. No preparation, no warning. It's one of the biggest factors as to why I sense the call of God into pastoral ministry for the rest of my life. And I remember the first 10 years or so when anyone would come up to me and say, Harold, man, you remind me of your dad. I took such great honor and pride. It made my heart leap. But after about a decade or so, I guess I was entering into my 40s, talking to my younger sister, and my widowed mom back then. I began to recognize and realize, huh, wow, my dad was also sinful. <laughs> my dad was really broken too. Like he had glaring tendencies that were harmful. that caused suffering in other people's lives. And what happened in my 40s was if anyone would come up to me now and say, you resemble or remind me of your dad, yes, it's, it's such great honor for me, but now it's more of a mixed bag. I have to filter it. I know the reality and the truth behind that. But my friends today, going into 2024 and the rest of your lives, when it comes to becoming like Jesus, you don't need any filters. He is flawless. He is pure. He is original and ultimate beauty. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. But his beauty is not something L.A. people want or expect. Especially L.A. and Orange County people, I assure you. When the prophet Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the arrival of Jesus of the coming Messiah, nobody could have imagined what he would look like. Look at chapter 52, verse 14 again. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. There are reports in the atrocities of war where they can barely recognize who that person is who has been mutilated and tortured and killed. This happened to Jesus. It's beyond like he was beyond human recognition. And it's formed beyond that of the children of mankind. This is the coming king and savior of Israel. That's what he would look like. Who would imagine that? Who would write a script for that? How about chapter, 50, uh, chapter 53, verses 2 and 3? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should des desire him? Did you know Jesus was not attractive? He was not naturally the um, attractive type. He didn't have the hype. You wouldn't naturally go to him. We wouldn't desire him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, a man of sorrows. 
and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. I mean, talk about saving face cultures. My goodness. Honor and shame cultures. Here is the one you want to hide your face from. You don't want to be associated with him. You don't want your name to be associated in the same sentence with him. Whoever this Messiah was, that's who we would become. And we esteemed him not. And we esteemed him not. Ancient people, just like our generation, we want our saviors and our heroes and our leaders and our champions and our bosses and maybe even pastors to be like Hollywood material. You know, like Brad Pitt material, George Clooney material. Why is that? Because that's what you want for your life too, isn't it? Happy forever after a Hollywood ending. But carried along by the Holy Spirit of God, the prophet Isaiah kept prophesying, troubling, and the most incomprehensible things. Who in the world was Isaiah speaking about? Who was Isaiah speaking about when he spoke of the coming Messiah? Peter, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. First Peter. Here's Peter, Apostle Peter. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Apostle Peter, by his wounds and you have been healed, takes verbatim language of Isaiah and applies them to who? To Jesus Christ. Now get this, folks. Get this, folks. What does he apply the language of Isaiah to? to the sufferings and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He had no beauty that we should desire him. Can I announce and declare today? But there's a certain group of people that would be attracted and desire him for the very beauty that the world would reject. It's in the sufferings and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that the original and ultimate beauty of God would break through. His beauty is shocking. The beauty of Jesus Christ is unlike any other's. Chapter 52, verse 15 of Isaiah. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has been told that they told them they see and that which they have not heard, they understand. Even kings will be stunned to silence by the manifestation of the beauty of this Messiah. At the beginning of the 20th century, if you're a historian at all, there was a revolution in Europe 
Royal family after royal family fell. In Russia, the royal family was executed. So members of royal families in different countries were scared. Because if it could happen to other royalty in different countries, then surely it could happen to them in their own countries. Those with such power and privilege and pomp rarely are stunned to silence because their people suffer. Kings and queens aren't shocked and stunned into silence because you suffer. No, it's only when people of their own kind suffer. And here Isaiah prophesies, kings of the earth will fall silent because they recognize here's another king. Here's another king. He's one of them. This morning, can I ask you, how do you define beauty? What's most beautiful to you and why? Who comes to mind? I'm sure there's images or faces that come to mind right now. Most beautiful to you. And why? Anthropologists long ago did some studies between primitive, untouched by Western media versus urban and modern. They're completely different ranges of depictions or conceptions of beauty. And so the anthropologists concluded, hmm, Beauty is not something you're just born with. Beauty is something you can learn. Beauty is not just natural or innate. It's uh, something you can learn. My friends, you know the prophet Isaiah wants you to see and learn. When Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. You must be born again. What does he mean? He says, You must be born again so you can see and learn. The reason that you this morning may not see the absolute mesmerizing beauty of Jesus Christ is because you have yet to learn who he is and what he did for you. The reason why Jesus hasn't redefined beauty for you and the reason why Jesus is not the absolute original beauty for you is because you have yet to learn, let to learn, yet to learn. There was a counseling session with a 16-year-old girl, and I picked this because it's not abnormal but typical. She was battling heavy, deep depression, and the counselor was trying his best to bring this teenage girl out of depression. Well, at one point, the teenage girl admitted, (laughs) I mean, counselor, I know Jesus died on the cross for me. I know he saves me. And I know that I'm going to heaven. But why does that matter if the cute boy at school doesn't pay any attention to me? The 16-year-old girl admitted and revealed something. She knew and grown up believing 
Christian things. She knew and thought that she had believed in truths about being Christian. Jesus died for me. He saved me. I'm going to heaven. But what does that matter if the cutest boy at school doesn't pay any attention to me? You see, for her, the truths about being a Christian didn't actually provide actual power or comfort or security. Only the attention of that cute boy would. You see, the attention of another beauty was far more consequential, far more substantial to her joy and worth than the attention and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And boy, isn't that 16-year-old speaking for all of us this day? Because if you're a church-going religious person, you can sing and speak about the beauty of Jesus as an abstraction. It's a theory. It's nice-sounding. Religious people speak about God from a distance. But Christian believers get to sense him up close. Religious people can talk about the beauty of Jesus Christ while every other beauty captivates their hearts. Religious people can sing and dance to the beauty of Jesus Christ while all the other beauties of the world Capture your energy and attention. Oh, but Christian believers get to sense the absolute original beauty of Jesus Christ up close, and his beauty eclipses all others. I don't know anybody better than the theologian of Wales, a Welsh theologian by the name of Dr. Tom Holland, who told this illustration of a little boy named Johnny who had a mother, grew up with a mother terribly disfigured, badly marred. But for the little boy, Johnny, he never noticed because her face was nothing but a face of love because his mom to him was nothing but kind and gentle. Well, the day came when little Johnny grew up, he had to go to school and the mother would take him by the hand to school he would leave him at the gate, hug and kiss him goodbye. And at the end of school, the mom would show up again to take him home by the hand. Well, as each day passed, Johnny grew hesitant. He grew reluctant to hold the hand of his mom until eventually this turned into Johnny asking his mom, actually, why don't you just stay one block away and then ultimately, he told his mom, I can walk to school and back fine on my own. So the mom was deeply hurt, deeply hurt, because her boy was growing distant from her, all in a matter of a few weeks. And then she realized what was going on. You see, the children in Johnny's class had been making fun of how his mom looked. The children had been ridiculing the appearance of Johnny's mom. 
And now little Johnny was turning against his own mom. He didn't want to even be in the same room. When he would come back home from school, he went straight upstairs to his room and locked the door. One night, the father came home, found his wife in tears, asking her, what's, what's going on? What's wrong? Why are you crying? And the mother explained, our boy has turned against me. Johnny's ashamed of me. He sees all the other beautiful moms and he doesn't want to be seen with me anymore. And so the father decided I need to go up into Johnny's room, went upstairs, sat down next to him. And he told little Johnny, I need to tell you a story. It's a true story. When you were three years of age, I was working in the shed and I left, left, I left the shed to buy something, but I left the door open. And you wandered into the shed and you began to play with a box of matches. Your mother saw you from the kitchen and she started to scream, Johnny, put that down, put that down. Don't, stop, please don't. But as she ran to the door of the shed, you struck a match and there was a fiery explosion. And before anything happened to you, your mom grabbed a hold of you. She held you. She fully covered you. And she took the whole blast of the explosion. Johnny, that's why your mommy is the way that she is today. She was taken to the hospital and the doctors fought for her life. Your skin is flawless because she gave herself to save yours. Now as little Johnny heard the true story, he broke into tears and he screamed, I've never known that. I never knew that. So he ran downstairs into the kitchen where his mother was, still crying. He took the burnt, scarred hands of his mom, kissed them, and thanked his mom profusely. From then on, Johnny was never ashamed again of how his mom looked. He wanted to hold her hands. He wanted to be seen with her. He gloried in it because Johnny had seen the beauty of his mom. Now, this is somewhat, not really close, though, to people learning about the beauty of Jesus Christ. He had no beauty that we would desire him. Ah, oh. but now billions of people would love him and die for him. Because if you learn who he is and what he did for you, your eyes are thrust open to a beauty unlike any other. Look at chapter 53, verses 4 through 6 again as we project this. I'm not even going to read it. I want you to read it to yourself now. I want you to repeat it. I'd want you to memorize it. 
I want you to look at it again and again and again and again. And I want you to see and learn with me today. This is the beauty of Jesus Christ. Nothing about him is self-centric. Nothing about him is selfish. It's all sacrifice. It's all self-surrender. Do you know why he's the only savior king who wouldn't demand more from his people or deflect or defend himself but lay himself down instead? He's the only one who would do that. And again, that's why believers love him so. He's the only leader, the only Messiah who will take the whole blast. He'll take the entire punishment. He'll absorb all the blame when things don't go right. Even when none of the blame belongs to him. This is the beauty. The beauty is in his sacrifice. Sociologists would say of our current generation, this is our kid's generation, it's the most narcissistic culture ever. And I'm not demonizing that culture because, my goodness, I need no help to be more narcissistic. I am by nature narcissistic. I am by nature, through and through, self-obsessed. But is it any wonder that with social media and with the onslaught of always kind of being concerned of how you look, how you appear, how you're affirming, how do people think of you, what do they like you or not? I mean, is it any wonder that people are drowning in depression, anxiety, envy, and abject fear? But what if I told you this morning do you know you were made for much more than that? Do you know God handcrafted you? He made you not to have you keep looking at you, but to look at him. Do you know that you are never more alive and actually fully yourself who you were meant to be until you look at him more than you? And when you look at him, you will want to and you will become more like him. I'm not making this up. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Again, Apostle Paul. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What's our vision? We don't get to come up with our vision. God does. And Apostle Paul says, our vision is to be changed into the full likeness or the beautiful resemblance of Jesus Christ. How? How can you and I be changed 
into looking more like Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It's our mission number one. You have to keep looking at him. Look less at you. Look more at him. Look less at the problems and pains of the world. Look more at him. Look less at what you're going to do to make 2024 better for you and your family. Look more at him. Oh, please look less and less at how you can become the better and best version of you. Do you know that Jesus Christ came down not to make you a better, best version of you, but to make you new so you would look more like him? And Christ Central was named after our number one mission is that we would center, look at Jesus Christ more than you and me. In all of our preaching and all of our teaching and all of our counseling and all of our ministries and all of our small groups and all of our sacraments, everything we do, this is why we exist. Because there's nobody who's gonna look more like Jesus until you look more at Jesus. Can I put it this way? Your spouses, your kids, your BFFs know, know best. If you are not looking a little more like Jesus into 2024, I suggest to you, it's just this simple and it's this supernatural. It's because you're not looking at Jesus. If you are not looking more like Jesus, it's because you've got your attention and energy looking at something else. Do you know how precious and powerful it is that the Holy Spirit of God promises to change anyone to look more like Jesus when you do what? When you do what? When you look and behold the glory of the beauty of Jesus. Our vision to be changed in the beautiful resemblance of Jesus Christ hangs upon a three pillars, okay, or threefold mission. Today, again, a vision and then mission number one. Mission is how-to. These are the how-tos to realize and fulfill our vision. Mission number one, it's in our name. Center Christ. Look at Jesus Christ. Please, look at him more than yourself. Do you know how? Through the scriptures, through prayers, through worship, through sacraments, through sermons, through reading, through being with these people that focus your attention more on Jesus than yourself. Mission number two, next week, in community, we have to do this together, not by ourselves. It is very, very difficult, if not impossible, for you to look more like Jesus if you don't do it with the people of Jesus. In community. And third, last but not least, mission number three, as we serve and give ourselves away in compassion. To be changed into the beautiful resemblance of Jesus Christ. Oh, is there anything higher, more beautiful, worthier than that goal? It's founded upon three pillars. Center Christ in community with his compassion. If you're into action items, hey, give me action items, great. Center Christ, that means believe and behold him. Community, belong. Third, compassion, 
behave. And as you and I do that, God has a crazy, funny, miraculous habit of changing you and I into the beauty of Jesus. Let me close with this. You know, along the way, I said LA people are not going to want or expect this kind of beauty because it's such a counterintuitive, countercultural beauty. It's filled with scars. And I assure you, along the way, you're going to get scarred. Physically, psychologically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, financially. But can I tell you something this morning as we begin? If the vision of Apostle Paul and the vision of our church for everyone, every church, if this vision starts to capture you, I want you to know God will use everything that he can. He'll take everything at his disposal, which actually includes scars. And you and I will never look better, and you could not look better without the scars. Joseph in Genesis literally saved his family because he had arisen to about prime minister status in the kingdom of Egypt after he'd been lied about, envied, and hated, and sold out by his own brothers. That's quite a scar. Moses was called to lead an entire nation out of a tyrannical empire of Egypt. Only after he was humiliated, rejected, and he had to run away from his own people. He had to live in exile for many, many years. Ruth, an entire book of the Bible, became the great, 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 great grandmother to Jesus. Only after she lost her husband, her livelihood, and her homeland. My dear friends, I so long and pray for you as one of your pastors. If you would pray with me this year, God, make me more like Jesus, make me more beautiful like him. Then you're also going to pray. Do that no matter what it takes even with some scarring along the way. But I will take heart because the scars become a part of your beauty. The scars produce a greater glory. I think one of the most marvelous Christian songwriters is Michael Card. I'll close with this, known by the scars, known by the scars. The marks of death that Jesus, that God chose never to erase. The wounds of love's eternal war. When the kingdom comes with its perfected sons, he will be known by the scars. For a time he sought to tell the world he was the way. That God the Father had a human heart. With his own holy hands he sought to touch and heal their scars, but they chose to tear those gentle hands apart. 
And after they had slain him and laid him in the grave, and the ones he loved had fled into the dark, then his love and power raised him. God won the victory, but they only recognized him by the scars. Jesus will be recognized, and he keeps his scars. Because that's part of his eternal greater beauty and glory. He's going to recognize you too. You know you belong to him because of the scars. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the vision that you set for CCSC and every church. We ache and long to be set free from ourselves and to look more like Jesus, your son. And now we dare pray. Lord, we pray. Make us more like him, no matter what it takes. Make us more beautiful like him, no matter what it takes. Lord, I pray that you would so bless this church to anchor herself on centering everything she does to look at Christ, to center Christ. Because you have promised by your Holy Spirit as we look at him, you will make us look more like him. Thank you, oh God. And Lord, if there be anyone in this room who needs to turn away from living from themselves to believe and to follow Jesus, would you make that happen today right here? Bring them to believe and follow the beauty of Jesus. Have your Holy Spirit, oh God, enter their lives so that they will live for you, no longer for themselves. Oh, hear us, we pray. Now, as we continue to sing and to respond to you in worship, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.